Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. Wow, don't you love singing those songs together? And doesn't the church look lovely? And to hear all the instruments from the violin to the drums, especially the bells this morning, what a, what a wonderful time to celebrate together. And uh, I just love hearing and participating in this music in this beautiful place with all of you. It's a gift. We'll open our Bibles together to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. If you don't have a Bible, there's usually one in about every other seat in the underneath the seats. And Isaiah's in the Old Testament. The biggest book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible. And then if you just keep going to the right a little bit, you'll find Isaiah. And we're going through this kind of chapter by chapter, this wonderful book. And uh, we'll be in uh, Isaiah chapter 46 today. I was at a Christmas party last night with a big group of people, none of whom attend here. And, uh, you know, just in small talk, people ask what you do. And I'm like, well, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. They're like, what are you doing for your preaching? I was like, I'm preaching through Isaiah. They were like, what does that have to do with anything in life today? And I'm like, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew how this applies, God just brings us uh, right what we need from his word week in and week out. Before we read Isaiah 46, let's pray together. Living God and holy Lord, we enter your presence invited by your promises. We enter your presence urged on by our need. And we enter your presence beckoned by your Holy Spirit. As we enter your presence, we are aware that we are nothing but poverty and guilt. But we enter your presence bringing Jesus, our Savior, in the arms of faith. We enter your presence pleading his name. We enter your presence pleading his righteousness, knowing that it towers over all of our iniquities. And so we rejoice that we have a savior. So strengthen us now to hear your word. Strengthen us now to receive your word and learn and grow up into the very image of Christ that he might reign supreme over us. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 46. A couple of guys in the Old Testament, maybe you've heard of them, uh, like Belshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar. These, these names of the gods that we'll see in verse 1 was included in those names. So even their king was like named according to their god. That's how important their idols were to them. And so it says in Isaiah 46 verse 1, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. 
To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from their purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in place and it stands there and it cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. If we could open up with a question out of Isaiah 46, the question is this, why do societies collapse? Why do countries that have prosperity, that have material wealth, that have uh, safety and even a measure of liberty for their citizenry, why do countries like that collapse and fall apart so they're not what they were? This text is written to Babylon, a wealthy, secure country that collapsed. This text is written about a superpower, and no one in the world could imagine the world without that superpower, and yet, where's Babylon today? Why do societies collapse. Is the society that we live in, the United States of America, collapsing? If you'd permit me a, a glancing uh, shot off of one news story this week in our nation, then we'll get back to Isaiah 46. This week, the um, wretchedly named Respect for Marriage Act which codifies or seeks to codify same-sex quote-unquote marriage into federal law, it passed our Senate. That act took uh, what the Supreme Court decided in the Obergefell decision and that this act actually tries to protect that from the Supreme Court overturning that, praise God, like they did Roe v. Wade. It seeks to protect this act by codifying it through our legislation, through federal law. But I believe that no human law can change reality as God created it. Marriage is and forever will be the covenant of one man and one woman joined together to one another in a lifelong monogamous union. And I ask again, why and how do societies collapse? The basic unit of a society is, I suppose, one person. 
but the basic unit of society qua society is when one person joins to another person. And that would be conjugal marriage, one man and one woman, to have children and raise them in a stable family. The basic unit of society is the family. And then a cluster of families form what we would call a, a polis or a city or a state or a nation. And the basic unit of that society, the family, is, is pre-political. One of the things to say about marriage is that uh, the table of the Lord that we took today, that's what we would call an ecclesial ordinance. It's something that belongs to the church. Marriage is a creational ordinance. It belongs to, to everyone everywhere. It depends neither on the church nor on the state. It's pre-political. How do societies collapse? And how did the society we in, we live in, become one where even our elected representatives choose to, to you know, write a law that's just absolutely upside down from God's created order? Well, we get there because of Bell and Nebo. Not exactly Bell and Nebo, but we get there because of idols. God's created us in his image. And if we refuse to know God and image God, we will find something else to make our all and our everything. And I'm not, a, I'm not an expert at, at analyzing our culture, but it appears to me anyway that instead of an idol named Bell or an idol named Nebo, we have an idol of, uh, of um, self-determined identity. My desires and who I want to be or who I am, down to the level of gender, this, this, this issue of self-determination. It's, it, it, it plays out, like Romans 1 says it will, in a sort of erotic libertinism where no one can tell me what I can and can't do with my body. And what I feel is right is right for me. The thing about idols is idols fit with human wishes and human lusts. Idols do not fit with created reality. And so if you follow an idol that fits with your wishes, your unbridled desires, and your immediate wants and your lusts, what will happen is you and the society that you live in will collapse. Because it is literally unsustainable because it is contrary to God's created order. Idols destroy because idols are contrary to God's truth. God is light and life and love. The scripture we read for Christmas in John chapter 1, it says that in Jesus there is life and light and love. And so to go God's way is to go the way of light and life and love, which would then sustain human happiness and human flourishing in any society. But to go the way of idolatry is to go against the light and the light and the love that would lead to human flourishing. And it can only lead inevitably to collapse. 
Babylon collapsed because Bel and Nebo couldn't save them. In fact, who even knows who Bel and Nebo are anymore? The names of these idols are sort of in the dustbin of human history. In fact, it's a little inside baseball here. This week, I had to come up with a sort of attention contemporary way to get you to even think about Bell and Nebo <laughs> because they're so removed and no one has done anything for them for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I have to find some kind of interesting way to back us into this text and like what it means. But, but, who even remembers Jesus? Has Jesus been uh, discarded to the dustbin of history? No. I say with a heart that swells with joy in my Savior and a smile on my face that globally around the world, particularly this month, millions, even billions of people will change everything in their lives because Jesus came to save us. However impressive and popular idolatry is at the moment, it will always be unsustainable. It will always lead to collapse. However uh, mistreated and discarded and insulted Jesus Christ and Christianity is, he shall reign forever and ever. All who cling to the unreality of idols will go into painful captivity and destruction. All who cling to Jesus will be saved and carried safely into a salvation that lasts forever. As we look at Isaiah 46, I guess off the bat in verses one and two to, to, to beg you uh, not to miss the obvious. Uh, I think I mentioned I was at a uh, Christmas party. Nobody from this church was there. It was just other people we know from the neighborhood and, and uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of people that don't believe in Jesus and you get chances to, to talk about Jesus. Don't miss what Isaiah says here or what Isaiah, what's behind what Isaiah says here. Isaiah does not believe that Bel and Nebo are just alternative cultural names for Yahweh God. There is a disagreement and a bifurcation here. Everyone doesn't worship the same God. We're not all sort of various religions climbing the same mountain to get there. Isaiah would say, no way. The so-called gods of the nations are idols that will harm and even destroy the people that are worshiping them. And this, this is, this is an, an undeniable part of the Christian gospel. Some of us, because we, we, we think that niceness is like the most important thing in the world, we sort of try to skirt around that, but you're not doing yourself or anybody else any favors if you skirt around that. That's a fact. That's a truth. And you need to proclaim it. And this text is... I want to say uh, easy to understand 
because Isaiah gives us a controlling image. And the best teachers, uh, when they're teaching something that's sort of complex or historically removed, they find an image. And when, when you get the image in your imagination, then click, you know, the ideas all fall into place. And there's an easily understood controlling image here. He's saying that when Babylon was finally destroyed, when that culture through her internal, uh, in her case also, erotic libertinism and, and other sins sort of unwound the entire culture and she was destroyed, what happened was the idols got loaded on to camels and donkeys and carried away into captivity. And that movement is brilliant and it's a bit sarcastic on Isaiah's part because he's saying the idols of Babylon, like, like picture a, uh, you know, a wooden idol or a stone idol being carried like a sack of potatoes by some people or by a, by a mule or by a camel. And Isaiah is asking this question, what good to you is an idol that you have to carry around and when you quit carrying it around, someone else is gonna carry it away. What good to you is an idol that cannot help you with his arms, but you have to use your arms to carry him around? Isaiah cuts through the, the how's this? Popular, everywhere believed, illogical lie of idolatry. Isaiah cuts through the popular, everyone everywhere believes it, yet it is complete insanity and indefensible as a belief. Isaiah cuts through the popular, everywhere believed lie with the blunt truth. If your God needs to be carried, how can your God carry you anywhere? If your God needs your strength, how can God, how can your God strengthen you? That's, what, that's the image here in these first verses. But he doesn't stop there. The picture reverses from a, a barb and a, a sarcastic slam against the idols into a, a worshipful rejoicing in the one true and living God. Because then he says, oh, Israel, and I would say in this moment, oh, church, God carries you. Past tense, God carried you while you were in the womb, as our Savior, the Lord Jesus was, and God carries you today, and God will carry you beyond the gateway of death. That's the promise of the gospel. So why would you trust anyone but God? That's what he's getting at. That's what he's getting at. See what he says? Verse three, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. God has carried you from before birth to the gray hairs of old age. Don't ask me why, but this last year, I did a word search on gray hair in the Bible. Uh, 
One of the texts I found, if you want to flip to it, is Psalm 71. I just mentioned this one to you because when I found this text a few months ago, uh, I memorized it. I, I don't have it. I've lost it since then and memorized other things, so I can't quote it to you. I'll read it to you. But I was facing, um, I was just facing a couple situations that I was anxious about where I was tempted to fear. And I memorized this text. In Psalm 71, it says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may, and I love this word, continually come. The troubles and fears in my life are not one and done. I need a refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him. There's none to deliver him. Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and I shall praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God will I come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hair, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to those who are yet to come. And we can end our reading there. God is faithful to the saints who belong to him, even to gray hair and old age. We'll remember it's in our devotional book, that wonderful story of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus, the, 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 the little Jesus is brought to them. And Simeon with the wrinkled, watery eyes of an aged old man says, now I have beheld the Lord's salvation. And then Anna A widow, the text says, 84 years old, with the sort of reedy, wispy voice of an old widow, gives thanks that she has seen God's salvation. We got members of this church who were not widows last Christmas, and they're widows now. And I want to tell you with an open Bible, God will carry you. He will never forsake his people. He will never fail. Not one promise will be left unfulfilled. Church, this is the promise to you. And so we have this beautiful controlling image of God carrying us. 
And then to, to continue the old age thought, we expect parents to care for their children. And then, this, I've walked so many families here through this, there comes a time when the adult children have to say to mom and dad, um, you know what? You need to give me your car keys. Your eyes don't work that well anymore. Your, your hands are a little too shaky. And the children grow up and they carry their parents. This is good and noble and honorable. First Timothy 5 goes so far as to say, if you refuse to do that, you're like an infidel. It's a big deal. But the, the, the controlling image here transcends that imagery. Because I got to tell you, church, wake up to this fact. There will never come a time when we outgrow our dependence on God. It is more likely that our God will become a doddering old timer who needs us to show him the way around. Ain't never going to happen. God promises to carry his people. And he will carry us all the way through. All the way through to the end. And then Isaiah asks one of his most commonly asked questions in verse 5, to whom will you liken me? Isaiah loves that question. One of his highlight chapters in chapter 40, he just riffs off that question over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says that the, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and all the nations are like dust on the scales. And then he says, to whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare with him? Well, to whom are you going to compare God? Bell and Nebo? Hardly. Because we're celebrating the birth of our Savior. Church, can't we ask, to whom will you liken Jesus? Well, the scripture likens him to a lamb, but the scripture also likens him to a lion. What do you compare? How, how can you compare if you're both a lion and a lamb? <laughs> Jesus is, is called the light. He's called the shepherd. He's called the door. He's called the living water. He's called the bread. One of the reasons that the metaphors stack up in the scripture is because Jesus transcends all of those metaphors and every atom of the universe that was created to make metaphors out of is insufficient to describe who Jesus is. What can be to what can he be compared? He transcends it all. To whom will you liken me? Then you see the word remember in verse 8. The imperative structure, the sort of what, what are we supposed to do about this structure of Isaiah 46 revolves around the summons to listen. Verse 3, listen and remember. Verse 8, listen is the summons of verse 3, listen to me, O house of Jacob, and it is the summons of verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. And remember is the imperative of verse 8, remember this and stand firm, and remember is the imperative of verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other, I am God, and there is none like me. Church, you have to hear the truth. Not just be in the same place 
that the audio waves of the truth are, are, are transmitting through the room, but you have to listen to the truth. And then once you've listened to it, God says here, verse 8 and verse 9, that you have to remember it. This means you have to call it to mind. You have to let it make you wise. You have to let the truth of God cut through the everywhere believed and by everyone accepted but atrocious idols of the age. This means you have to grow in living faith to place your hope fully on God, to remember Christ's birth, to remember and worship. It's in remembering Jesus that our faith is renewed. Church, to listen, verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. Church, to listen, you have to soften the stubbornness of your heart. And I know that even last Sunday, by the Holy Spirit's goodness, many of you, you softened the stubbornness of your heart by the Holy Spirit's goodness in your life last Sunday. And guess what? You got to do the same thing today. And you're going to have to do the same thing next Lord's Day because it comes back. It comes back. To listen, you have to soften the stubbornness of your heart. And to remember, to remember, you have to value the promises of God's word more than the passing pleasures of the world. To remember, you have to value the promises of God's word more than this world's pleasures. To remember, you have to treasure what God has done more than the passing entertainments of this world. I've often thought that perhaps December and January would be the perfect time for you to limit your uh, social media intake, for you to limit your sort of entertainment intake and, and really take time to remember, like use our Advent devotional that we prepared. Use that and, and get a solid 30 minutes in the Word every morning. And then use something else and get another solid 30 minutes in the Word in the evening so that you can listen and remember in a unique way at this time of the year. God says, listen and remember. What is it that we are to remember? Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Verse 10, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God says, remember, if I've said I'm going to do something, I'll do it. So God has just promised, verses 3 and 4, to carry you. And now he says, remember that and trust me that I'll do it. He will carry us. He will save us. God has accomplished our salvation in sending his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is not one promise of salvation that God has not fulfilled or that he will not fulfill in the second advent of Jesus. He'll carry them all out. And there's not one moment when God isn't carrying you along from, from before you were born to after your earthly life is over. So humble yourself. Realize that God is carrying you moment by moment by his grace alone and you need to be his child. Church, I want to exhort you this morning to trust God's promises. And church, I want to exhort you this morning to trust that God will carry you and all of your burdens. I say that because I have become aware over the years that 
December, it, it just seems to be at the end of the year that anxieties and burdens uh, multiply. Obvious factor is families get together and a, a huge amount of our anxiety and our pain for some of us is related to hurts and harms in our families. But money, many things that we fear, that we grow anxious about. And I want to exhort you to trust God's promise that he will carry you and your burdens your whole life through. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, he will sustain you. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, he will sustain you. Then I think Peter is quoting or at least alluding to Psalm 55 when in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxiety upon him for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, humble yourself before God, casting all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. As I've been working that out in my own prayer life this year, a couple of ways that I've applied that scripture in my own life about burdens that I bear is uh, first, um, I've developed a habit of handing specific burdens to the Lord in prayer every day, in writing if necessary. I often write my prayers because it keeps me focused. And so I write down the burden and I say, God, I'm casting this on you. I'm humbling myself and saying, I can't fix it, but I am casting it on you. So I hand specific ministry concerns, specific people, specific burdens. I hand specific burdens to the Lord in prayer, in writing if necessary. And then if that's the first step, the second step, I'm not quite sure how to define this, is that once I have done that, I make an intentional effort to decide since I have given God that burden, I'm gonna like leave it with him, you know? It says cast your burden on the Lord and that casting is the sense of releasing and not pulling it back. I hand specific burdens to the Lord in prayer and then once that prayer is prayed, I really leave it there. And I, I guess third, the way that I do that is I begin to reflect on God's ability to carry that thing. That's how I do it. I say, God, you really can carry this. You, you, you're the God of the Exodus. You're the God who trashed Bel and Nebo. You're, you really can carry this thing. So I reflect on God's character, which is his ability to carry all of these things. And what I end with is a sweet sense of humility, I am not able, and a sweet confidence in God's ability. He is able. And I suppose that's the fourth thing that I've just kind of learned to do experientially as I've done this all year, is that I, I, I end with this deep sense of humility that I'm not adequate, I can't handle all these things but this supreme confidence that God is able and that God can handle all these things. One of, one, one of the truths that God has taught me the most in 2022, I suppose, is that my faith is not like some strong inner resource inside of me that I draw on. 
My faith is not some strong, great inner quality of mine in me that I draw on. My faith is my uh, weak, desperate, continual, consistent calling out, Lord, I need you to carry me. Lord, I need you to carry me. That's faith. That's faith. It's an expression of felt owned personal weakness with the commensurate expression of an absolute confidence that God is almighty. In church, everything else may fail you. Verse seven says, whatever else you look to, it cannot move. And if you cry to it, it does not answer it does not save you from your troubles. And so church, I want to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ from the prophecy of Isaiah, everything else may fail you, but the Lord God never will. The Lord God will never fail you. He will always carry you. He carried you from before you were born. He will carry you after the other side of the grave. This is because God has promised that his covenant people, Israel, in the Old Testament, the church of Jesus Christ here and now. God has promised that his covenant people will be saved unto his glory and kept by his power forever and ever. I urge you to trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are weak, but you are strong. Lord Jesus, we are forgetful, but you by your Holy Spirit have caused us to remember. Lord Jesus, we fill our own lives with misery and doubt, but Lord Jesus, you have given us faith and you've even given us abiding joy. So Lord Jesus, be glorified in the faith, the trust, the prayers, and the praises of your people. Now and forever, be glorified in your church. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.